Time for the Friday edition of Hancock and Kelly. You two belong together. John Hancock, Michael Kelly on News Radio 1120, KMOX. Hey, good, mor- good morning, St. Louis. It's a great day to have a great day, isn't it? It's a great day. It's Hancock and Kelly in for our regular Friday gig. I'm it's Michael fall. Kelly. That's uh, John Hancock. It's fall. I love fall, except for the sun coming down here this morning, heading east on Highway 40. So I had the same experience with the sun, and I thought, Boom. I can't even imagine what's happening to John Hancock Boom. right now. Oh, it was He's, not good. You were probably flipping out. Well, I mean, the people are stopping their car in the highway, and then nothing's going on. The sun's right there looking at you. Yeah. Uh, you'd figure, <laughs> you'd, ha- you'd think you'd find a better way to make these highways. So well, you weren't driving into the sun all But the if time. you think of, you know, the way that St. Louis expanded, you know, most cities when they expanded, unless they were blocked by major bodies of water, expanded out from the central center in 360 degrees. Now, in Chicago, that's not the case. You had to go west. In St. Louis, we could have gone both east and west, and there's people on the east side. There are people on the east side. But the bulk of the population has gone west. Uh-huh. And so we get the worst of it, right? In the mornings, people are driving into the sun as it's raising, and it's particularly bad in the spring and the fall when the sun's lower in the sky. And then going home, the same thing happens. How about that? Well, that's uh, that was it's miserable, right? It was tough. It was rough. But you know, when you're a skilled driver, yeah, uh, you you know put the visor down, uh-huh. and, uh huh, and the visor's got to kind of cut, you know, right there, and then you yeah. got to kind of peer underneath the the visor. Uh, and you got to keep eyeballs on the car in front of you to see if the brake lights are coming on. That's right. the whole key to the whole thing, Mike. Yeah. Now, do you carry sunglasses or do you leave sunglasses in your car? I do. Constantly. So they, yes. they never leave the car. Never. Well, unless I have to get out and do something, but yeah. Yeah, but I mean, but then you have, you run the risk of I got accidentally two, taking two pair a in the car. That's where I was going. Yeah. I've done the same thing. I've got one pair of sunglasses that I only use in the car, and I, I kind of have my own little mental rule that these cannot leave the car because inevitably you'll wear them into the house one day and forget to take them, and then you have a morning like today. It happens. Yeah. Yeah, and that would have been horrible this morning without my <clears throat> Maui gyms. Ooh, is that what they are? That's what they oh, are. Oh, listen to you uh, <laughs> brand dropping there. Woo. Yeah, my daughter used to work at the sunglass factory. Is that right? Yeah, and so she was a big sunglass uh, salesperson. So I, uh, this is a sign that you're old. Yeah. Um, my last visit to the eye doctor, mm-hmm. uh, the guy says, you look, your prescription didn't change this year. So I was like, woohoo, you know, I, 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 my eyes didn't deteriorate this year. Yeah. And, uh, but I always kind of budget that once a year, I've got to probably get a new pair of glasses. Well, this time I went and got sunglasses. Yeah. And prescription sunglasses. Ooh. Buddy, I'm hitting the golf ball better than I've ever hit it before. Is that right? Yeah, I had no idea. You know, we're so vain about glasses if you haven't worn them your whole life. And, I, you know, look, I'm sitting here right now with you with my glasses off, and they're right here in front of me. But I looked in the mirror this morning. Don't put them on. <laughs> but when when I, what I've found now with sunglasses, in particular when I'm doing stuff outside like playing sports and stuff, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is great. But you know what? What you were talking about being a uh, a a great driver and what makes you a great driver. <clears throat> yes. uh, number one is uh, that you know the rules of the road. I do. Number two is that you're prepared, right? You have <clears throat> your always, sunglasses. Always prepared. Uh, you know, number <clears throat> three is you stay within the speed limit. You abide the written and unwritten rules. More or less. Although I did almost hit a construction cone on the way in this morning. And. You have your radio tuned to KMOX. Connect with KMOX on air, online, 1120 AM, 98.7 FM, KMOX.com. And welcome back to the Hancock and Kelly Show on KMOX. We'll stick around till 11 o'clock. We'll join Amy and Chris for the show a little bit later. That's right. And, uh, of course, you don't forget, you can see us on Sunday morning at 830 on Fox 2 right here in St. Louis for Hancock to Kelly Hancock and Kelly, the television show, which is live on Sunday mornings at 8.30. It is. We'll be back in these seats on Monday nights at 8 o'clock, starting this coming Monday night again. And now that the baseball season is over, that'll be fun. We don't talk much politics on Monday nights, but we do talk politics during this segment every Friday morning. John, what a week we've lived through. Uh, I know you were riveted by the television earlier this week. Uh, You and I texted a bit during it. Uh, as Matt Gates in this uh, wing of the Republican Party. Uh, I don't even know what they call themselves. I call them MAGA extremists, but I don't know that this is the whole MAGA contingent. 
that's behind this, but uh, he made a move to vacate the speakership. That was a rule that uh, was agreed to by Speaker McCarthy in the midst of his 15 votes to become Speaker of the House. And this has now put our country in chaos, and I don't see an end in sight. Well, it's really interesting the way that all came down. Matt Gates is not a beloved figure in the Republican conference in the House. In fact, uh, neither Marjorie Taylor Greene nor Lauren Boebert voted with him uh, to vacate the speakership. I found that interesting because those are the three right. that really kind of seek the attention, you know, they, they seek out the limelight. And because this was a Matt's Gate, Matt Gates play, uh, they didn't play along, which I found interesting. And some of the folks that voted with Gates, uh, like Ken Buck of Colorado, who has been a pretty reasonable guy on a lot of things of late, uh, that vote surprised me. There were eight Republicans who joined with all the Democrats to vacate the speakership. Never happened before in the history of the country. And now we have a vacancy. They come back uh, in a week and sit down and try and figure it out. And it's going to be, I I don't see a clear path forward on picking a new speaker. I guarantee you, I I can't imagine that Jim Jordan or Steve Scalise are going to be able to put together anything approximating the 218 votes it's going to take. And... You get into a stalemate, and at some point somebody's got to blink. But yeah. I don't. Let's, so let's get into the politics of it. But let you you understand the history a little bit better here. This has never happened before. Has there ever been a motion to vacate in the past? Nineteen eleven, and it was uh, a motion to vacate the speaker, the Missouri House Speaker Clarence Cannon, for whom the Cannon U.S. Federal Office Building is named, uh, and that motion failed. That motion failed, and so now. Uh, this is this has not happened before. Uh, this is an unprecedented event we're moving towards. We talked about this change in the rule as it relates to a motion to vacate. Mm. That wasn't something that just one member of Congress could do prior to Speaker McCarthy, was it? No, and and that was one of the concessions he made uh, as the balloting went further and deeper. It took 15 ballots to get him nominated as Speaker. And one of the concessions he made was that any one member could uh, come to the floor with a motion to vacate. It would be a privileged motion, so they'd have to take it up. And uh, now they tried to table it when Gates brought it forth the other day, and they just they didn't have the votes. And as soon as they didn't have the votes to table, you kind of knew that the gig was up. Yeah, no doubt about it. And so here we sit now, um, and one has to wonder how this gets resolved. A major component of this has to be changing that rule going forward. We've often talked to John that there's essentially four parties in this country right now. Let's just deal with the uh, the Republican side. We already know there's a progressive Democratic Socialist wing in the Democratic Party, what I call traditional Democrats, uh, traditional conservative Republicans and MAGA Republicans. Is there a third faction inside the Republican Party, which is uh, just extremists who want to break things? Well, I mean, they kind of fall into the, the every one of the folks that voted with Gates was a member of the Freedom Caucus. Certainly not all of the Freedom Caucus uh, was with him, but the ones that were with him were part of that caucus. And the Freedom Caucus is something that's been around for quite some time. Uh, Mark Meadows came out of that group uh, and went on to become White House Chief of Staff, for example. And there's been a lot of uh, Mick Mulvaney, who was also White House Chief of Staff, came out of that group. Uh, so they... They've been a force on Capitol Hill, but they've never been anywhere near a majority of the of the Republican conference. And they've kind of morphed over the over the years. They began as a fairly principled conservative, very hard line on out of the tea spending. party, right? Yeah, very hard line on spending. And now it's it's they've become very much more populist in their yeah. in their approach. And certainly that's true of, of the well, Gates. Yeah, team. and the initial uh, starts of this, I think, comes from the Tea Party, and then that whole message of spending kind of goes out the window when Donald Trump becomes president, and it becomes more about Donald Trump. So here we sit now. Yeah. There's a contest that's going on where Jim Jordan, a member of the Freedom Caucus, also a person who is uh, in court right now for failure to comply with a subpoena before Congress, going to be interesting if you're the Speaker of the House and you're already one of those people who says, I don't think the, con- the Congress has the validity to force me to come up and testify. Why would anybody ever go testify in front of Congress if he's the Speaker? So that's one person. He's got a lot of issues. You have Steve Scalise, who's a part of the current administration or was a part of the current leadership Leadership, team with Kevin McCarthy. And then there's a third faction. 
Is this kind of like a presidential race? Is it going to be one of these three people, or is there somebody we are not talking about who could be speaker? Well, I think what one of the scenarios that could play out here, because it's a two-way race right now between Scalise and Jordan, uh, and there, there's no way either one of them is going to get to 218 if the other stays in. And so it, it will resolve itself either by those two becoming intransigent and, and sticking around and ballot after ballot and we're getting nowhere. If that happens, then what will happen, I think, is that they will both step aside and there will be a consensus candidate emerge that everybody can live with. They may not love it, but they can live with it. And I think, unless Jordan or Scalise step aside and allow the other one to lead, which could happen, but if that doesn't happen, then my prediction is that Elise Stefanik, the conference chair from New York, congresswoman from New York, she's got good creds with the Trump people. Uh, she's in leadership currently. And um, I could see something like that emerging. But... Um, but there's a long way to so, play, and Donald Trump has, has weighed in for Jim Jordan. Yeah, that's, that's where I was going to go. Jim Jordan gets the endorsement of Donald Trump. Marjorie Taylor Greene out there saying she's going to nominate Donald Trump to be speaker. Yeah. Our own Ryan Wagner from here in St. Louis took the side of, I guess, what the majority of regular Republicans will go with, which is Steve, Steve Scalise, Scalise yeah. out of Louisiana. Uh, what do you think will happen first? Do you think we'll get a speaker, or do you think we'll default on uh, on the government's paying well, for stuff. Well, and then that's really the looming. There's two looming issues where this really does matter. One is funding the government. And they have all these appropriations bills that have not yet been passed. The goal, the plan under McCarthy was to get those appropriations bills sent over to the Senate within this 45-day window that they negotiated to, to keep the government running. And then, then you fund the government through regular order. Appropriations bills pass. They get signed into law. You don't need these continuing resolutions that we've come to know so well over the years. And I think that's in jeopardy now. You're getting that all mustered through without a speaker, and we're not sure when we're going to have a speaker, and we're not sure if the speaker that we have is going to be able to put the votes together to get that done. So that's one big issue. The other one is, uh, is America going to continue its commitment to fund uh, the Ukrainians in their war against Russia? And Jordan, there's no guarantee if Jordan is speaker that he would even allow Ukraine funding to come for a vote. My, oh, my. And, and so and McCarthy was a strong and uh, articulate defender of supporting Ukraine. He said so after he was deposed. Uh, but... That's uh, that's a very well, open question right now. Yeah, and for those of you who've been Republicans since Ronald Reagan, you may want to realize that the cloth and the fabric that made up that version of the Republican Party seems to be evaporating before our eyes. Uh, who would have thought the Republicans of all parties would be the ones out supporting the Russians and defunding a war against the communists? Uh, well, and this is all being driven primarily by what I argue is the face of your party, John Hancock, which is the former president of the United States, continues to kill it in polling. Looks like he's more than likely to be your nominee. And yet another uh, story comes out this week of uh, him leaking uh, classified information to an Australia businessman related to nuclear subs. Uh, this on the heels of uh, so many other leaks that have come out of uh, Donald Trump. Doesn't seem like people give a care uh, about what's well, happening. Well, this one matters. Here. This one matters. This was reporting done by ABC News came out last night uh, that Jack Smith and his uh, prosecuting team have interviewed this Australian businessman who's a member at Mar-a-Lago, and uh, the reporting is that Donald Trump told him about our nuclear subcapacity, the number of submarines we have, the number of nuclear warheads that are contained on the submarines. And explain to him how close they could get to Russian submarines without being detected. Mm -hmm. All of which, uh, you think about the U.S. submarine force, both the attack and the missile uh, systems, they're the most cap capable machines in the world. Our, our, our nuclear submarine force is a jewel of our military. Uh, and every aspect of that technology and capacity is some of the most highly classified material in our nation's defense. This is not insignificant. And he tells a, not even a citizen, I mean, he tells a guy, mm -hmm. uh, gives him information that even our allies don't have. Okay? Britain doesn't know the capacity of, and 
and this guy then goes and tells a bunch of people at work. <laughs> he tells former prime ministers of Australia. He tells random, dozens of people. And that's what he's testified now before Jack Smith. Uh, or I would imagine he's been deposed. Uh, they've asked him to stop spreading that information. I mean, this is highly classified information. And, folks, this stuff is serious. It matters. And I, you may love Donald Trump, and you may think he was a great president. You may hope he's back in the White House. But you do not do this with our nation's deepest secrets. This is how we defend ourselves against attack. This is how we defend our allies. This is information that never should be disseminated. And, um, you know, it's going to be just another story in a few days, and everybody's going to forget about it. I guarantee you that's going to happen. But this is a big deal. Yeah, I wonder if there's many Republicans that wish they could go back into the time machine and when the emergence of Donald Trump happened, kind of spoke against it, or more importantly, when there were these two opportunities to impeach him, that they would have voted differently. Donald Trump's here to stay, and yeah. it's really a consequence of the of the rest of the Republican Party, which has allowed him to flourish. Well, and the, the second impeachment uh, after January 6th, I am certain that the conventional thinking in the U.S. Senate was that, he, that he's done. Uh, why impeach? He's done. Why impeach him? He learned and, his lesson. And they were Susan well. Collins no, I don't think say. that. I just thought they figured he was unelectable, and he may be unelectable, but he's not unnominatable, and he's going to be nominated as president of the United States. Well, we're going to talk some more about this speaker thing. Michael's got some thoughts on women dressing in the fall. We're going to do that after the news. And state senator uh, Jason Plummer from next door in Illinois is going to join us as well. An action-packed show on this Friday in St. Louis on KMOX. Time for the Friday edition of Hancock and Kelly. You two belong together. John Hancock, Michael Kelly on News Radio 1120, KMOX. So on my way in this morning, I I was like, well, I've been battling the sun. You yeah. know what? I'm going to get a latte. A I'm latte. not a normally a coffee drinker, as you know. Yeah. So I hop into the uh, local Starbucks here there in, you in downtown St. Louis. The line is too long to drive through, so I, I hop out and I run inside. Yeah. I get to the front desk, and there's this lady, but she's dapper as can be, buddy. She's got the jeans on. Yeah. She's got the the boots, the the boots that come up to almost the the knee, you know, the brown boots that girls wear. <laughs> kind of a, a fall, uh, you know, sweater. She you, ordered her pumpkin spice latte. She you was were, so you were taking notes, were you? Yeah, and she says to me, she goes, isn't this the best time of the year? And I looked at her, and I said, Absolutely. And uh, so now we ordered our drink and we're waiting. And she goes, she starts telling me, she goes, I just love this time of year. It's the best clothes. And it occurred to me, you know, every woman in my life, give or take a few, always says fall is the best time for clothing, for outfits, et cetera. I don't know about you. I don't know if this is a Georgian thing. I'm fine with whatever season I got to put clothes on. It really doesn't change. I love the fall. How much I put on. And... But, I, you know, women love, seem to love this fall time, but they all wind up dressing alike, right? I know they that, put on those little jeans and uh, those little knee-high boots and little hats, and they all look alike. Hats. And Yeah, well, They're you know, like— little uh, hats. Right, you know, like oh. fall hats. I don't— Well, I don't know if you call them hats. What are they? Hats. You know, like—yeah, you've seen them. I have. Buddy, check your Facebook feed later this week after everybody's been out this weekend. You're going to see nothing but pictures and of girls in jeans and knee-high boots and earth-tone colors— you know, oh, fall is the greatest. Well, I know that you are a keen observer of the female. I try, yeah. Well, and, I grew up around uh, them all. Yeah. Of them. And it, I don't really pay that much attention to what women wear. No, really, no. I mean, does I, your wardrobe change as fall comes? Well, you know, I yes, I love the fall. Is it, is fall the best season in St. Louis? It, it's the best season in St. Louis. It's, it's the best season to dress. Now they've ruined it with all the pumpkin crap. Uh, but aside from that. Uh, yes, it is. And I've got my sweaters. They're looking at me now when I walk into the closet saying, yeah, they still put fit. me on. Put me, of course they still yeah. fit. Now, you, I would think that you would like a sweater because, you know, a sweater, you know, you throw a sweater on and you yes. cover up some stuff. A multitude know? of a multitude of issues can right. be disguised by, by a, a skillfully draped sweater. Uh, yeah, I love them. And, and, and they're all... They're all just hanging there, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, draped over the hanger like that. The little, the little uh, cloth hangers. Yeah. And they're they're calling my name, Michael. And I came this close this morning 
to putting on a sweater. But it's going to get close to 70 today, and I thought, yeah. You see it's going to go down to 40 tonight? Yes, yeah. and you know, I will be wearing a sweater tonight. Is that right? I will. Well, this weekend, I'm sure the wineries out there in Augusta and Herman and other parts are going to be rocking and rolling. Did you see we're going to have temperatures that go down into the 40s on Saturday and Sunday as high as 63 Love it. on Saturday? I'm telling you, you're going to see nothing but these fall clothings. I, I just wonder, is, is fall the greatest season in St. Louis? And does anybody else know that uh, ladies in particular all seem to wear the same type of clothes during fall I've like, never noticed that. Oh, gosh. 314-436-7900-1800-925-1120. Um, I, I just, I don't, I don't get it. Are you a pumpkin guy? Are you a pumpkin spice no, guy? No, no, no. They ruined, they ruined everything. Really? So last night, on advice from my very good friend, Michael Kelly. Oh, boy. I went and did the grocery shopping last weekend. Uh-huh. Got the uh, swordfish fillets. Oh, tell me. How'd it go? One bite. You didn't like it? No. God, fishy, it fish, 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 fishy taste. Swordfish is the best, brother. It uh, it's it's meaty meat. Fish, fish, fishy, and uh, well, John, one fish. Bite. It is a fish. So I had nothing to eat. Yeah, it's a fish. Well, uh, how did you season it? Uh, with the with the way they tell you to. You put and the, how'd you cook it? In the on the grill. And you didn't like it. I did not like it. And my father in law didn't like it. Georgian didn't like it. Uh, well, maybe it was the preparation. So I had because nothing. The swordfish is, is it's a great fish. It was fishy. It was fishy. <laughs> and, uh, oh. you know, purportedly it was, you know, live caught with a line and a whatever. And, a bobber. Yeah. But uh, so, yeah, that was not good. And, and so my option for dinner last night was my father-in-law had brought some muffins over. You're kidding me. You guys threw away the swordfish? Threw away the swordfish. The, this had to have been preparation, brother, because uh, swordfish is one of the greatest things you can get in a well, restaurant. Look, I don't a, mind. A, I don't mind eating fish, but when it tastes like your gulp of the ocean, uh, that's that's not happening for me. I'm not going to do it. I don't know I'm that this was cooked properly. Well, I'm just telling you what happened. Yeah. It was not good. But my option then was pumpkin muffins. Pumpkin muffins. Give me a break. Why do we insist on injecting pumpkin into everything we enjoy? Coffee, you get the pumpkin spices. You get the coffee pumpkin beer out there. You got the pumpkin yeah. muffins and the pumpkin this and the pumpkin that. And there's too much pumpkin. I don't like pumpkin. I don't mind it. They're ruining I mean, I don't go out of my way to eat the pumpkin stuff, but I don't Ugh. mind it. Now, what we used to do when we were kids, this was fun. Remember when you you know, buy your pumpkin to decorate for Halloween or to cut it up for Halloween? Yeah, miserable pumpkins. Yeah, so we you, you cut it out, and then you, you take your hands in there, and you swish out all the, the grime and the seeds that are inside the yeah. pumpkin. And, and then you people gotta, eat the pumpkin you, seeds. What's yes, the matter with people? I loved it. We would clean the pumpkin seeds, Ugh. and then we'd throw them on a, on a, a cookie sheet. Put a little salt in them and bake it. You yeah. never like the pumpkin seeds? I don't like pumpkin, Michael. Dude, you're not an American. I don't know what's wrong with you. You don't like swordfish. You don't like pumpkin seeds. You don't like pumpkin muffins. We are taking Tula to the pumpkin patch this weekend. Are though. you going to complain about that? No, I don't mind looking at them. Yeah. Uh, I don't even mind sticking a knife in them. But uh, I'm not going to eat them. I'm going to cook some. I'm going to come out one day. If I ever get invited back out to the Hancock household, yeah. I'm going to come out and cook you guys some good fish. Are you? Yeah. That's some swordfish. I'll tell you what, man. You'll love it, brother. Oh, man. It was rough. Hey, we're going to step aside. When we come back, we're going to visit with Jason Plummer, a state senator from Illinois. You're watching what's happening at the border. Uh, it's now a crisis in all, almost every city in the country yeah. as, uh, as uh, refugees are being sent around the country. It's taxing the go the cover the governments of both local and states to the nth degree. We'll talk about it after yep. this right here on the Mighty Mighty Mox. Now, back to Hancock and Kelly, sponsored by Insperity, HR that makes a difference on News Radio 1120, KMOX. We go now to the Quiver River Electric Guest Line. We're joined by State Senator J Jason Plummer. He's the Illinois State Senator from the 55th District right there in Edwardsville, Illinois. Senator, welcome to KMOX. Thank you. Good to be speaking with you. Now, now, Senator, you're from the 55th District. How many senators you guys got over there? 59. 59. 59. So, yeah. They start numbering them from Chicago down to downstate. <laughs> right. Chicago's number one in a lot of things. <laughs> right. Yeah, it is indeed. Before we get to Chicago and the immigration problem you're facing, I know you well. I know you to be a huge fan of the Los Angeles Dodgers. What? And the, yes, they, they built a subdivision over there in Edwardsville called uh, Ebbets Field. And all ah. the streets are named after Dodger greats. 
Uh, you've studied the Dodgers. You're a fan of the Dodgers. You root for the Dodgers, Senator Plummer. How are they going to do in the postseason? Well, they're going to win it all, John. You know that, <laughs> right? I mean, any, anything less would be a disappointing season. No, I, look, I, I love baseball, and, and I love being in the St. Louis area because baseball has such a rich history here, but uh, it's a family tradition. We're Dodger fans, and uh, unfortunately, the Cardinals did not make the playoffs, so I know all of my friends like you, John, in St. Louis are probably rooting for the Dodgers this year, right? Well, I like the Dodgers, uh, only because of, of your family. Uh, but uh, my heart this year is with the St. Louis Browns, uh, who are vying in the American League. Now they're known yeah. as the Orioles or something. Uh, but that's who I'm, that's who I'm pulling for because, you know, they've been, they've been in a bad way for many, many years, and they're number one in the American League right now. So that's where I'm headed. So you, you like you like the underdogs, uh, no. the guys that have had a have a tough go. Of it. Yeah, Is that why but, you have the Republican from Illinois on the radio this morning? <laughs> no, what he really likes, Senator, is people who leave uh, of St. Louis. So he's still rooting for the Arizona Cardinals, the L.A. Rams, <laughs> and the Baltimore Orioles. All right, let's get to immigration, shall <laughs> yeah. we? So Senator Jason Plummer is our guest from Edwardsville, Illinois, District 55. Governor Pritzker, your governor there in Illinois, has written a letter uh, very concerned about the influence flux of of these refugees that have been like, sent to Chicago and he says it's unsustainable he's not happy with the Biden administration no he's not it's just um you know further evidence that no no one really has a plan for this um for for this issue that's you know uh, an issue of our making um the governor's fighting with the president the governor's fighting with the mayor the aldermen are fighting with the mayor um, the the Democrat majorities in Springfield are keeping their head down. They don't want to talk about it. So it, it, it's a real problem. And, you know, it's I, I look at this several ways, right? Um, I, I look at it with empathy uh, for these people who, who are coming uh, to the U.S. And, um, you know, the governor and uh, the mayor, they claim that we're a sanctuary state and we're, we're, we're all these different things. But then when, when, when the people start showing up, there, there's no plan to, to assist them. And really what you're setting these people up is, is for, for terrible experiences. You know, the, the stories you read about what's happening at the border, what's happening on their, their path to the border, and you know, the women and, and the young ladies being raped and abused and people being murdered. And, and really what we need to be doing is, is we need to be you know, sending a message that this, this whole process is, is broken. It's not acceptable. And, and we need to start addressing it. But the governor doesn't have a plan to do that. So he's kind of flailing right now. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And of course, Illinois fiscally is in a challenging state, shall we say. Uh, what's going on with the budget over there? And, and are these uh, are these refugees uh, an additional drag on it? Well, I mean, uh, no doubt. And I mean, there's there's a few different ways you can you can look at this. I mean, first and foremost, when it comes to the budget, you know, once again, the governor pounded his chest that he he passed a balanced budget and all these things are great. And, and people like me said, you know, uh, you, you know, basic arithmetic shows that the budget's not balanced, no matter how many different you know types of gymnastics you try to play with the numbers. And now here we are, uh, you know, just a few short months after having passed the budget, um, that there's not enough funding for for this issue. Um, we have the ASME pay raises um, that that can't be funded, and then we have um, this this uh, immigrant uh, health care issue that has absolutely exploded. I think I was on with uh, with several of you guys uh, a couple months ago talking about that issue, you know, and and so we we are you know, more than a billion dollars um, out of whack from a budgetary standpoint. The governor doesn't know where to find the money, so he's he's begging for you know federal help, and and frankly. Um, this is an issue that we created, and the federal government can't afford to bail out 50 Illinois. So Illinois needs to fix this problem itself. You know, the governor and his allies, the mayor, they 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 say we're a sanctuary state. They they you know grab a microphone and tell everyone we're going to have free health care for illegal immigrants, and then they wonder why they're being overrun. You know, I, I can't imagine. Yeah, Senator, two questions for you. You say that the budget's almost a billion dollars out of whack. Is it all coming solely as a result of this uh, immigration and refugee issue, or is it related to many other issues? I know you pointed out the raises to public employees. 
Well, I mean, obviously the budget's a, a combination of a lot of factors. You know, every year that he has been in office, Governor Pritzker set a new record in state spending. And we, we've also had a lot of receipts from pandemic era money. Um, we had uh, larger than expected tax receipts um, in 2020 and 2021. And so, you know, there was a real missed opportunity to use a lot of the revenue that we saw that wasn't expected to fix some of the structural issues facing the state. So to, to your point, um, this is just one of, of a lot of things. But, but when you have a, a um, health care plan for legal immigrants that you intentionally underestimate the numbers on, when you, when you underestimate, you know, you're spending a lot of things so that you can pass a budget and, and claim it's balanced, when Republicans are standing there saying, well, you know, this is going to cost three times as much, you're missing $300 million for the raises, you're missing this, you're right. missing that, you know, and, and now the governor is shocked that he needs money. Um, yeah. It's just not the way to manage a state. This reminds me a lot of, um, you know, during the depths of the pandemic when we were encouraging the governor to reallocate some of the funding and uh, the governor wrote, a, or the Senate Democrats with the governor's support wrote a, a letter to D.C. asking for $41 billion of a federal bailout. Um, you know, the governor needs to plan I'm a businessman, right? So I don't think about next quarter. I think about the next 10 years. And the state of Illinois kind of just kind of bumps and grinds from crisis to crisis instead of sitting back and really planning long term. And this immigrant situation is a perfect example. Hey, Senator, any uh, evidence? uh, Obviously, this is a major problem up in uh, Chicago, Cook County and the surrounding metro there. And then it's putting a taxing drain on the entire state. Uh, are we seeing any of these immigrants or refugees showing up in downstate? I know you're from Edwardsville. Have you seen uh, an increase of folks there? We've seen we've seen it in downstate. We we haven't seen it near to the the, the numbers that they've seen in Chicago and, and the areas around Chicago. You know, there's there's a real fight in the city and in Cook County right now because. Um, you know, basically all, all the immigrants are, are, are being bused or, or traveling to Chicago, and then Chicago's overwhelmed. So now they're kind of moving them out into the Cook County municipalities and even into some of the, the further out suburbs. And the state is, is kind of forcing grant money onto these communities to, to try to house them. We haven't seen it too much downstate yet. Um, you know, we've seen it in Champaign. We've seen it here in the St. Louis market and a couple other places, but but not uh, not uh, not to the numbers that they've seen in Chicago. So we're about a month, and we've got just about a minute left, State Senator Jason Plummer. Uh, we're about a month into this new Safety Act that does away with cash bail. A lot of concern by prosecutors all across the state, both parties, uh, that this was going to allow dangerous people out. Have we seen any evidence of the effect of this new act? Well, I mean, it, it's brand new. So, um, you know, I think a, a lot of it's yet to come. But, yes, we, we've already seen, you know, effects of it. Um, you know, I, I think everyone agrees that reforms are needed. Um, my problem is you, you can't use the state of Illinois as a guinea pig for, for dramatic reforms that that uh, no one really knows what's going to happen. I mean, there's just an article um, the other day of, of a, a, a guy that was um, – he shot a dog in the head, and when he was arrested, he had two 50-round ammunition magazines on him, and the judge released him, said he wasn't a threat to public safety. Um, now, the prosecutors, and this happened up in Chicago, of course, uh, the prosecutors uh, requested to, to keep him in jail, but the, the judge sent him home. You know, before this law went into effect, that, that wouldn't have happened. And these stories are starting to get out more and more often. And, um, you know, ultimately, I'm a business guy. Uh, I'm not a prosecutor. I'm not a police officer. I'm not a judge. Uh, so, you know, the nice thing about being in public office is you, you encounter all kinds of things. And when I encounter, um, you know, different things, I go to subject matter experts because I want to make the right decisions from the experts in those areas. And when every sheriff, when every prosecutor, when every state's attorney, when, when everybody I know who works in, in, in law enforcement says this is a really bad thing, this is going to lead to violence and crime and dangerous people getting out and impacting our communities, I tend to listen to them more than I listen to the politicians in Springfield. And um, it's, it's, it's a real problem. And if people in Missouri don't think that it's, it's not going to impact them, just like this immigrant crisis, I assure you, uh, Illinois folks that should be in jail will be impacting Missourians, um, just like the, the migrants coming to Illinois are, are stressing the health care systems that are based in St. Louis.
He is State Senator Jason Plummer, District 55 in Illinois, serving in the Illinois General Assembly. Senator Plummer, thanks for your time. When we come back after the news, Scott McFarland, CBS News congressional correspondent, is going to join us. We're going to talk about this race for Speaker of the House. That's next on KMOX. It's Chiefs football Sunday afternoon. Four-man rush. Left side throw for the end zone. Coming back. Come back. Pattern caught. The Chiefs. The Vikings. Touchdown. Kansas City. Pre-game at 2. Kickoff 325. On your home for Chiefs football. KMOX. Well, if there's a better voice in radio than our next guest, I want to hear it. We go now to the Quiver River Electric Guest Line where we're joined by Scott McFarland. He's the CBS Congressional uh, Correspondent. Scott, how are you, sir? Disappointed I'm watching baseball playoffs and there's no Cardinals. I'm trying to get over it. I mean, I'm I'm a child of the 80s, of Whitey Herzog, John Tudor. Man, this doesn't feel right. Uh, Every couple of decades, we have a bad year, Scott. Hopefully, we'll put it back together next year and bring a smile back to that beautiful face of yours. God bless you. Hey, uh, let's talk about what's going on. Obviously, Speaker McCarthy was ran this week. Uh, Now the fight is taking place. Uh, Congress took a week off, I guess, to try to sort this out. Jim uh, Jordan's running. Steve Scalise is running. There's a couple of others running. Uh, first of all, who, who looks like they're putting this together? And second of all, will they change the rules or will they face the same fate that potentially uh, that Speaker McCarthy did? Let me start with the bottom line. This is a particularly tenuous moment for the U.S. House of Representatives to be paralyzed. And to be clear, it is. It is frozen in ember until they choose a speaker because November 17th is the next deadline for a government shutdown. We hope to have a speaker by November 17th because nobody's running away with this. If somebody was running away with the speakership, we'd be having a vote today in the U.S. House. Donald Trump overnight endorsed Jim Jordan, the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, the Ohio Republican, who's been among his most ardent and vocal supporters. But this is the one piece of real estate in Republican politics where Trump is not a silver bullet, because this is a secret ballot election. So people can vote their conscience or however they want without revealing their vote publicly. And the win, the winnable votes the swing votes in the speaker election among Republicans are really the moderates, those who are in you know, Biden districts, those who represent suburban New York City, Los Angeles, Philadelphia. And a Donald Trump endorsement may not help <laughs> win over their cause. Yeah, and, and Republicans did, you know, in spite of how bad the midterms were in 22, they really had some impressive wins in New York. Uh, and you can really drop the majority, the credit for the majority on some of those races up in the Northeast, which is ironic in and of itself. So this binary race right now between Scalise and uh, and Jordan, it seems to me that there's no chance that either one of these two is going to be able to put 218 votes together. How does this get resolved? Is it is it possible that they deadlock here and then they turn to a consensus candidate who's not particularly running at the moment. Is that how this thing is likely to end, Scott? If I were a betting man, and I am, I'd bet the mortgage on that happening because I don't see the composition, the broad tapestry of composition of 218 votes that are needed coming together for Jim Jordan, who is, to put it charitably, a polarizing figure. Um, He's a Fox News star. He's a particularly good communicator. He is about as loyal as it gets to Donald Trump. But that's not what this game is. This is about getting the entirety of the Republican conference. They all got to support you because Democrats aren't going to give you any votes. And I don't know how he builds that broader coalition so quickly. Steve Scalise, who has such a remarkable biography. Um, He's been a leader for a while here. He's been a great fundraiser for Republicans, perhaps the best one left for House Republicans. He survived an assassination attempt on the baseball field in the shooting in 2017. He is fighting blood cancer right now with aggressive treatments, says he's up for it and says he's the right guy for it. But his coalition is Southern. It's conservative. It's kind of in a concentric circle with Jim Jordan's. Somebody's got to win over 217 or 218 people. And I don't know who that is yet. And that's why I would say we may have a new name sometime soon. And I think that new name might end up being Elise Stefanik, the conference chair. Um, she has not tossed her hat in the ring for this. She's very tactical. Uh, she plays the inside game, uh, has demonstrated the ability to play the inside game. Might she be 
uh, a choice that with a gridlock uh, kind of shoots up through the middle? Let me give you the pros and cons of that. The pros is she's actually a very good fundraiser. And one of the biggest jobs of the leader of a party, Speaker of the House, is you got to raise money. Kevin McCarthy was distinctively good at that. And one of the reasons why there's so many frustrations among Republicans that he's gone as Speaker, because he was particularly good at raising money. And, oh, by the way, he might raise money to primary some good candidates against these defectors who voted him out. Um, Elise Stefanik has built herself uh, inside the Republican Party here in the House by being a prodigious fundraiser. Um, The downside for her is she has (laughs) transformed her political complexion from a moderate in a purple upstate New York district to a firebrand who espouses Donald Trump talking points. And again, you got to win over the moderates. you got to win over the Main Street Republicans, those from the purple or blue districts, and she may have a challenge there. Scott, will they be able to change the rule that allows just one member to make a motion to vacate? Because if they don't, isn't the next speaker ultimately facing the same scenario? Sure is. Jim Jordan says he won't. Um, So Jim Jordan's running on a campaign to get those eight defectors back and uh, try to (laughs) make the argument that he'd be the kind of speaker who wouldn't be a victim of that rule. But there is a coalition of Republicans, likely those who are most devoted to Kevin McCarthy, who say you're not going to get our vote for speaker unless you change that rule, because we don't want this faction of Republicans, this group holding everybody else hostage politically. I mean, there is acrimony I have never seen inside the Republican House conference. There was a letter just circulated by a group of McCarthy supporters saying we want either something preventative or punitive done to prevent these eight from ever exacting their will on the rest of us again. They want a rule change. They don't want this ever happening again. That's another thing on the table as they discuss who's going to be the next speaker. It almost uh, seems like there's unanimous uh, agreement in the Republicans in the United States Senate that the House needs to get its you-know-what together. Yeah, and because these deadlines are real and they're ominous. The government shutdown is not a painless thing. In fact, it's got a bit of a nightmare because anybody who shuts down the government is responsible for the stripping of paychecks of millions of federal workers and service members. Government shutdowns also strip social safety net programs for people who need money to buy, you know, food and baby formula. And that shutdown is speeding toward us November 17th. Not only is the Senate um, asking the House to get together and pass a bill, we need the House to function again. The doors are locked. The lights are off indefinitely in half of the U.S. Congress. That's just a bad dynamic. Scott McFarland is our guest, CBS News congressional correspondent. Before we let you go, there's two big looming issues on the horizon. One is on on the financing the government side, and they're either going to have to figure out a way to pass appropriations bills that could go through the process, go to the Senate, come back through conference committee and pass. That seems to be a daunting task. Uh, The other thing they could do is kick the can, as they just did the other day, and pass another continuing resolution. And there's that issue. And then there's this issue of funding Ukraine. Those are the two very significant things facing this Congress. And Ukraine funding is up in the air right now. Yeah, and Jim Jordan has said he's not interested in continuing funding that. Um, So as Speaker of the House, he might try to guide the U.S. House away from providing taxpayer funds to help Ukraine. That's a reality that Senate Republicans don't like. There's a lot to hash out in this speaker's race. and There's a lot of real impact on Americans and on the world in this speaker's race. It's not just palace intrigue or inside political baseball. (laughs) So there's plenty of that, too. Um, That's what makes me think this isn't going to be ready to be voted on and approved by Tuesday or Wednesday. This could be a while. He is Scott McFarlane. He's a CBS congressional news correspondent. Thanks so much, Scott. Good luck. I wish there was more for you to cover. (laughs) (laughs) We'll stay busy, brother. Thank you. Exactly. Hey, we're going to step aside, but first, listen to this. KMOX, the 2023 Large Market Radio Station of the Year, recognized by the Missouri Broadcasters Association. KMOX, we were built for this. Welcome back to the Hancock and Kelly Show. Hancock's over there rocking out. I was yeah. thinking about this earlier today. We we just talked to Jason Plummer a little bit ago. Yeah. He was talking about how they're a billion dollars short on yeah. their budgeting. Yeah. I, I think about what's going on in St. Louis right now. I mean, we're so flush with cash. Could you imagine being a governmental official with, you know, almost a billion dollars sitting in a bank? 
uh, at a time when everybody else is running out of money? Yeah. I mean, and, and here and they're asking the public how to spend it. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense, does it? And they, they literally have stop signs that are made out of cardboard yeah. that they're posting around town. Well, we haven't had much rain. Yeah. But uh, and, and I see the mayor's fighting with uh, the aldermen about the homeless at City Hall. What's up with that? Well, the mayor had run on a very progressive agenda. I actually appreciate the mayor's position. Uh, I don't know how genuine it is, but uh, she said, look, we're, we're not going to allow a homeless encampment in downtown St. Louis uh, at, at City Hall. It's dangerous. It's unhealthy. It's whatever. Uh, and then, of course, all of the aldermen rushed over there to say, hey, what are we doing with our unhoused neighbors? You know, we've got to do this in a more... Uh, way. I mean, there's more money, more resources than have ever been in existence. And what's frustrating to me, John, is that uh, the mayor and the leadership of the Board of Aldermen all ran on saying, hey, we need to reform government to be able to ad- address some of these issues. Mm-hmm. They got there. They caught the car. Yeah, they're the dogs who caught the car. They and are. they have no plan. They don't. They've not implemented it. Oh, they have not. you could easily say, well, it's because they have no money. Well, that's not the case. They got money. They got more money than they know what to do with. Thanks to the federal government. Uh, and so it's just it's disappointing. But uh, that goes along with what after a, a disappointing Cardinal season, too, John. And <laughs> I know that segue. you. Well, we, we don't want to spend all our time talking politics. So we might as well just translate transfer to. Another disappointing subject, which was the Cardinal season and ultimately that pitching staff that just, I don't think we had, uh, we, we didn't have anything nearly able to compete. Well, no, it just, what we had was not enough and it was a miscalculation in the way they constructed the roster and they constructed the roster so that we've got something like nine outfielders <laughs> and not enough pitching. Uh, so that, that's a, that's a big problem and so the all the talk over the offseason is going to be the Cardinals need to add three starting pitchers well I can't think of another team that's ever added three frontline starting pitchers in one offseason didn't the Mets do that they got uh, Verlander and Scherzer and uh, somebody else all in one year well yeah but I mean three is like yeah almost unprecedented and reporting came came out, and it's not the first time we'd heard this reporting, but apparently years ago, Max Scherzer, who St. Louisan. now is uh, pitching in the playoffs, uh, St. Louisan, Parkway Central High School, I believe, uh, reached out to Adam Wainwright years ago and said, hey, I'd really like to come to the Cardinals. I, they don't have to match what I'm being offered, but, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the Cardinals passed on it Ugh. at that time. And the guy went on to win the Cy Young Award twice. Uh, had a, just a dominating six, seven, eight year period there in baseball. Now he's on the back end of his career. He's 39, going to be 40 years old. And, um, I don't imagine that that's a, a deal. He's making $43 million this year. The Cardinals certainly aren't in that league. Uh, but that's, you know, we've got to find three effective starting pitchers and, um, you know, via free agencies, maybe one. Then you're going to have to trade for one or two or get signed two free agents. It's a, it's a daunting task. Yeah. And and by the way, our division doesn't seem to be getting much better. Uh, everybody from the Central has now been uh, is out of the playoffs. Yeah. You know, the uh, keep an eye on the Cubs uh, because they've got money. Uh, they've got a young group of players. Uh, they, they had a much better season than expected. And the Cincinnati Reds, if they can hold their core together – they're going to be a threat for some years to come. Now, they need to add pitching as well. And that's the other thing. You know, while the Cardinals aren't the only team out there looking for starting pitching. And so they're in a competition with all these other clubs. And a lot of money does come off the payroll this year. Adam Wainwright's salary uh, and some others. But uh, you're going to – and you're going to have to – it's going to hurt. If we have to enter the trade market, it's going to hurt because you're going to lose somebody you don't want to lose, whether that's Nolan Gorman or Lars Newtbar. Uh, Brendan Donovan, perhaps, going to be very hard to get any kind of a talented pitcher without Tommy Edmond, without getting rid of somebody that's been a fairly key piece of this ball club for the last couple of seasons. Well, and uh, look, the senior franchise, the St. Louis Cardinals here in St. Louis, have been winning for a long time. I guess they're entitled to have a bad year, but we're not used to it. Hopefully they can put it back together. We're not used to having a season like we did here where we were just pathetic and couldn't compete. 
thankfully, uh, the bright spot of St. Louis sports this year was the soccer team. Their freshman season, they're out there already. They're in first place, John. They're headed to the playoffs. They're going to be fun to watch. This is a remarkable story. Uh, It's never happened before in the history of the MLS, the Major League Soccer League, where an expansion team in its first year has actually won its, its conference. And they've got more wins than any expansion team in the history of the sport has ever had. And they've got home pitch. That's what you call the uh, yeah, playing that's right. Uh-huh. They've got home pitch advantage throughout the playoffs. It's yeah. remarkable. Well, hopefully they can bring home a championship. And how awesome would that be? But as the weather turns colder, you can't help but think of the junior franchise in town. Our St. Louis Blues, many of us were long-suffering Blues fans. And then thankfully we won that Stanley Cup. Uh, most of the team is, seems to be gone. There's a couple of them that are still around, including our own Jordan Bennington there between the nets. Uh, give me a preview of what you expect of this team as we head into uh, the start of the Blues well, season. Well, there's not a lot of expectations for the Blues. Um, a lot of the national pundits have them in the kind of lower third of the league oh. in terms of the roster. I think I think they're better than that. and. It's all going to come down to the def- the defense. The defense was a huge disappointment last year. A lot of players had off seasons. Colton Pareko, Tori Krug, and the defense core is basically unchanged. Now Scott Perunovich, who missed most of last year with injury, he's he's an impressive looking defenseman, and he can play the point in the second power play unit. Got to improve the power play. Got to improve the penalty kill. Some of the pieces the Blues added in the off season, I think, will be helpful in that regard. Bennington looks good. Joel Hofer, his backup, hasn't shown much this uh, preseason, but he had a solid year in the, in the minors last year. So, uh, and the Cardinal and the Blues have uh, the makings of some very potent offense. This Yakov Rana, I don't know if you've seen much of him. <laughs> no. uh, he was a disappointment in where where he was. Had some off the ice problems. This guy's a scorer, and uh, he's going to be some somebody to really keep an eye on. And the, and the new guy uh, that we brought in from the Flyers, trying to think of his name off the top of him, huh? Yeah, Hughes, uh, the centerman, going to center the third line. That will be an upgrade for the Blues. And, you know, keep an eye out for uh, Kairou and Robert Thomas and uh, Buchnevich on the top line. Uh, they could do some real damage. Buddy, you're impressive with all these names. I really, that's a, that's some impressive stuff. Hey, he's John Hancock. I'm Michael Kelly. We're Hancock and Kelly. You can hear us Monday night right here on KMOX. We host a show called Hancock and Kelly Late Night. We'll be doing that from 8 to 10 during the offseason while the Cardinals aren't around. And don't forget, you can check us out at 8.30 on Sunday morning for Hancock and Kelly, the television show, as our good buddy Andy Banker sits between us. And you won't want to miss what's about to happen here on The Voice of St. Louis. It's the Chris and Amy Show just around the corner after the news on X.